Hey baby, won't you stay right there? Right away with Seattle, you know we got the flair. Hey everybody, this is Amber Sweeney and you're listening to Seattle Wave Radio. Welcome to Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7-365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join up. Let's get this show started. I'm really thrilled to welcome my guest today, Michael Tomlinson. Michael is a successful singer-songwriter whose path to success sounds more like a Hollywood movie. I have talked many times over the years on this show about the changes in the music business, and Michael is a very good example of an artist who has had to adapt to this new music frontier. So thanks, Michael, for coming on. Lori, it is a pleasure. And may I say, I love that intro. A thing about kindness kind of threw me. You just don't do that in an intro to a program. (laughs) It's it's just a a good reminder, you know, because I really do strive to be kind on a daily basis, except for, you know, life kind of comes at you and tries to jar you out of that mental mode all day long. And so anytime I I can even just remind myself, you know, just smile, be kind, um, it it helps kind of bring me back to that center place that, that, I, that I strive to be. Of course, my, my, my children love to pull me out of that place, too. Um, but, but I really try <laughs> to go back to center as many times as I can. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, if it was easy, it wouldn't mean anything. That is true. That's right. You know, I kindness thought... means something because it's a choice. And Absolutely. It's a, and it's a, it's a discipline, really, you know, uh, in that. And then it eventually, over time, becomes a natural way of being. But it is a discipline at the same time because we're all thrown off constantly. I saw a T-shirt on someone the other day, and it said, it just simply said, I want to be a nice human. And I thought, has it come to that that we have to remind ourselves on T-shirts to be nice? <laughs> but it, but... We do need that reminder. <laughs> and it did remind me to smile and, and, and be nice. <laughs> Yes, I love the simplicity of the statement, though. Exactly. I want to be a, a kind human. A exactly. nice, or did they say nice? Did they say kind? They oh, said I like that. kind, I, I think, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I might like have said right. nice, but uh, but yeah, I think they I said like kind. Which, which doesn't always happen in this business. And the music business, a lot of times the artists, new artists especially, get a really rude awakening about the business aspect of, of being a musician. Oh, you know, when I when I was when I was playing my first LA show, and you know, for anyone from anywhere, that's going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. When you're going to play LA, that's going to be a big deal. And I had a, an album on the air that a couple stations were playing in LA. It was my first album, but it was about a year after it had been released here. And um and these people that were doing my distribution uh had talked to uh, the Beverly Theater, which was a grand, wonderful old theater, held about 13, 1,400 people. And um, they had talked to them, and they were interested, but it was up to me to do the deal. So I called the man, the manager of the place, and uh, we talked a little while, and then there's the hemming and hawing around what the deal would be. 
And I said, uh, and he said, well, what kind of a deal were you looking for? And I said, well, Bill, what would make you happy? And he went stone silent. (laughs) And he said, Michael, I've been in this business 30 years. No one has ever asked me that before, and I'm not sure how to answer it. And then he said, he said, well, would how about 50-50? And I said, great, let's do it. And it was a beautiful start to negotiating something that should serve both parties. So I've always remembered that and, and try to go back to it again and again when I'm in a difficult place for trying to work out a deal. Well, let's take everybody back to the very beginning when you were in Austin, Texas, and how this whole phenomenon with you kind of started, because you were really, you know, kind of a poster boy for how things could could have happened at radio stations back in the day. I remember because I was a DJ back at KHPY in Riverside. We uh, had the yep. Palm Springs, uh, LA, uh, that whole kind of uh, basin area. And yeah. artists used to could just walk in. The door was open. They could come in and they could drop off their music. And we would listen to it in our spare time. We liked it. We'd spin it. No problem whatsoever. And then I was there as that, as that business evolved and changed. So I, I, and of course, you know, listeners have, have heard me kind of on this soapbox for years talk about this evolution in the music business. That I, I still don't even know that, that we know even collectively where we're at. It's still evolving. But can, can you take us back to, to, sure. to that time? Well, I certainly remember that with a lot of fondness because for me it all started with one station. That was KECX in Seattle. They heard, they actually heard a cassette tape of one of my songs, and they put it on. Someone at a, at a restaurant, at a Rotary Club meeting had heard it, took it to the station. The station manager heard it, said, I can play that. And it was a song about Mount Rainier and, and a man who had climbed Mount Rainier on crutches, and it was... It was just a kind of a folk ballad, and he put it on, and it became instantly their number one song, and very shortly the most requested song in their history. Um, so that gave me. I came from Austin because one radio station that's playing you changes your life. I don't. It, it almost doesn't matter where it's at. It, you can't touch that many people playing little past the hat clubs like I was in Austin, and or any clubs. You know, suddenly at least tens of thousands of people are hearing you on almost any station, if not hundreds of thousands. So I moved here, and uh, and then they put out uh, an album project, a double album, um, which they had like six or 700 entries of Northwest artists, and I was one of them, and I was on that. And from the minute I had something that people could actually buy, even one song on a double album, all my shows started selling out in Seattle, the backstage and things like that. And uh, in another year or so, I put out my own album, and uh, and I only had the one station still at that time. When my first record came out, I only had KECX, but the strength of that one station sold 15,000 LPs. You know, this was LP days, Mm -hmm. 1985, and that sold 15,000 in three months or so here in Seattle. It was unheard of. You know, you just no one had no one knew what was going on with this. Uh, I I would hear from just before it came out, this has got to be a novel event. Uh, Peaches Records, who used to be a big store here and in many places, called me at home one day and said, when is your record coming out? 
and I told them that I was still working on it, and they said, you've been our number one requested artist in this store for a year, and we need a record from you. <laughs> so that's how it was going in those days, you know. Right, so, right. So I put out that record without anything but the one station, and then after a few months, uh, a programmer heard me from a guy who lived in uh, in Arizona and or New Mexico, and he said uh, he contacted me and said, "Michael, I I rep about I think it was up to twelve stations. I can't remember now." And he said they hire me to recommend music for them, and I would recommend your album if you'll send it to them. So I did that, and I was a little bit afraid because I thought maybe I'm just a Northwest novelty. I'd started out singing about Mount Rainier. I had a lot of songs about rain, and and I was a little worried about would it would it work elsewhere? And these stations were widely spread. It was uh, they were up in Portland, Maine, and uh, Baltimore, and Baltimore, and Orlando, and Santa Fe, and Casper, Wyoming, and Fairbanks, and San Francisco. So it was as spread out as you could get in this country. I sent it to them, and uh, to my amazement, I had the number one requested song of the year at every one of those stations. So by then, I knew this is. Uh, this is reaching people in some way. They're hearing something. There's some kind of personal connection. And those were the days you were talking about of when you could go in and play a song in a station, and uh, they're happy to interview you. And uh, also stations loved to get phone calls. They don't love that anymore. They don't want that anymore. I've had mm -hmm. them actually say to me, oh, we don't want people calling here. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's unheard you know, they of. Lived but, that. They lived for yeah, that back then. That, you can exactly. remember what that was like. Oh, that absolutely. For decades. For decades. We grew up and it was that way. Right. The stations loved for people to call and tell them they loved it or will you play this song? And and uh, so that's how it was back then. And I, I, I miss that, obviously. Anyone who's ever had radio play in those days. Um, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like walking into a town you've never even been to before, walk in and do an interview on in the studio, and every staff member has come in to listen, and the phones are lighting up, and then that night there's a sold-out show at some little theater or club. You know, it's just mm -hmm. it's a it's a an amazing thing, and for me it was particularly gentle because unlike an artist. A lot of these young artists now, they have a hit, and it's all over the world at once. And mine was one city. And, and let me tell you, that's plenty. That's plenty of change in a person's life. I moved to Seattle, and thousands of people were glad that I had. And that's hard to conceive of because you live your whole life up to – yeah, you have friends, and there's some people that like you and some that don't. But no one walks around with a lot of people really glad you came to their city. And that's how I was in Seattle. And to me, that was plenty. It was to have had that happen instantaneously in every city in the country or all over the world. I think, it, I think what it did for me is it allowed me a sense of community. It allowed me very early on to connect with the people that listened to me and, and to feel that, that that sort of folded into my music after that. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was good for the artist. It was good for the fan. It was good for the radio station. It was good for music at that time. It's become something else yeah. uh, now. And you've had to, like, like a lot of us who came up through that era, you have to learn to kind of adapt. But the thing is, 
it's hard to adapt to something that doesn't even know what it really is yet. Well, that's for sure, because there's not any one new system out there. Right. And, and it's by no means only artists or only musicians. I mean, it, nearly every walk of life is greatly affected by the Internet now and by cell phones. Um, it just changed so much. Uh, you know, m- massive corporations don't exist anymore. We would have never dreamed. Who would have ever dreamed in our life Kodak would be essentially non-existent? Right, right. But, and that, ha- that happened to a great many. At the same time, there's these startups who have massive success. You know, so w- what I'm saying is I, I fully understand it's not just the story of the, of the musical artist, but, but what has happened there. I think the repercussions of are going to be felt and actually are going to surprise people what's going to happen. What I often tell people is there will be no more bodies of work. You'll have no more James Taylor that you've loved over 50 years if they hadn't started back then. You will not have that now with the kind of artist and the way people listen and the way people cherry-pick a song or two here or there, or they stream it for free and never get into the fullness of the catalog. You, you won't, it's not a world that supports that. And I, I'm not saying it can't happen, and I believe that it's possible. Uh, but in general, if we don't become more aware of what it takes to have really soulful music in your life, to have really soulful music created and supported and distributed and shared and the creators of it paid, we won't have it anymore. It won't happen because you can't survive doing that anymore where you put out your record and it's streamed for free. And, you, you know, everyone's seen these things. I saw, I saw a little Facebook post of Jonathan Brook, who's a wonderful artist that's, that's uh, had at least a 20, 25-year career, and she, she posted a check she got. I believe it was from Spotify for 13 cents that year mm-hmm. or for all the times they had played her songs, they went to the trouble to send her 13 cents. And this is the place people are listening to music, Pandora and Spotify, and you're not making money off that. Uh, you, you're making some money if you're one of the artists that sells millions of records. But if you're someone, even moderate-level uh, artist that is pretty widely known but just not necessarily a top 40 artist, uh, they're, not, they're making pennies. Off of mm-hmm. that stuff. So, just the well, other day, I saw. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say to put that in perspective. I know that uh, I saw an interview with Pharrell. We all know Pharrell, and his song "Happy" yep. was like the biggest seller last yeah. year. And his check that he received off one of those streaming, there was no other song that that was played more than his. And yep. his check for the year for that for "Happy" from that one site was forty three hundred dollars. So wow. <laughs> Nothing, nothing. So, because that's millions of plays. You're talking millions millions of plays. plays. So, what chances somebody else have? I mean, that was the song of the year. So, I mean, you you can kind of just to kind of put that in perspective for people. Yeah, it's really true. And so, now I think it is important, Lori, that what I try to remember. Yes, I can get I can get emotional about this stuff, and some of it can be upsetting. At the same time, what I really realize is this. You've got to embrace change. You have got to find a path through it. And, and there will be different ones for everyone. 
You've got to embrace the change in such a way that you have a positive sense of things so that your own music grows, your own life grows, so that there's a benevolence to your work. And, and that benevolence creates openings. We don't know how. We don't know where. There's no way you can ever predict how that will be. And I'm not saying that there aren't some specific things we're doing, as you and I were talking about, that I had just launched a Kickstarter uh, campaign. That's being done a lot. Crowdfunding is being done a lot. Uh, certainly people posting their stuff online and, and getting their following on YouTube and, and on many other uh, web, uh, websites and channels. You know, all of those things are being done. People are um, working harder to get their songs in TV shows and commercials. You know, it's become a much more viable thing now. Uh, a TV, basically commercials are radio now. Isn't that a bizarre thing? But if you've got a new single and you can place that in a commercial, that is the modern radio. Mm-hmm. And that is so, true. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And there's not really, you know, I mean, I would love to have that. I, I wouldn't, I, I, there are definitely some things that I would not say yes to. Uh, you can't put my music in a Roundup commercial, but <laughs> there are, but there are plenty that hey, if I've got a positive lyric and a, and a and a great melody, and you play 15 seconds of something, and you're not selling something harmful for the world, I would probably say yes. You know that could keep you going for years sometimes, and you need as much of that as you can. Um, we have to be, I think, we have to be very very open to the possibilities of what our music can do that's outside the realm of what we grew up thinking it was going to do. Yeah, I talked to um, several old-time bands that are still kicking around and and, and touring, and and they've found revenue streams through video games, having their music placed in video games. Mm. You really have to think outside the box when it comes to bringing in all these different – because music, selling music isn't really doing it anymore. I mean, you have to tour. It used to be – they didn't tour as much as, as they did either. But now touring yeah. is, is, you know, how they're paying the bills because the music selling really isn't, isn't paying the bills. It's just a, such a, a small fraction. And, yeah. you know, it's the public has we, – we've kind of trained the public to have this expectation of free. And it's, it's yeah. not only happened in music, but it's happened in publishing. It's happened in – film and movies and, and that type of thing and, and it's really devalued the art and so we kind of you know created this monster to where now a lot of times the public won't see the value in spending seven ninety nine eight ninety nine nine ninety nine they're willing to maybe spend ninety nine cents but they're they start going out of their comfort zone past past that ninety nine cents a dollar nine level and I remember, and I'm sure it was the same for you, Michael, but, you know, having to buy the whole album. And there was a, a big musical experience that really came with, maybe you bought that album for one or two songs, but when you locked yourself in your room or you played that album over and over, you fell in love with different things. You know, what, what, what was Absolutely. your favorite song last month? You had a whole different favorite song um, a month yeah. or two later. And and you had this journey with the artist that kind of took you through this this whole album. And, and you know, they're just not getting that when they're just kind of cherry picking the, the top 40 song here and there and putting a, a, a playlist together. And I, I kind of, you know, just uh, 
mournful of that for for people who yeah. who don't get that experience. Well, I you know I absolutely agree with you. That is, uh, it was a rich, rich, rich part of my childhood, and on up into many years of my life that 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 way of buying the album. I mean, you can remember lying around on the living room floor and looking at liner notes as the album played. It mm -hmm. was a big thing. And uh, and I've kept my music that personal. There's still the fullness of a record, uh, I think has a lot of value for the people that know me and love my music. However, I'm well aware that people do go and just buy one song a lot of times. And And look, I appreciate all the support. Um, I honestly, I appreciate it if you listened to it and never paid a penny for it, if you got something from it. I, I very much appreciate that, and I think that's a good thing in the world. But you're missing out if you're not taking more of the body of work. Because part of what made that song that you sort of cherry-picked for 99 cents, part of what made that good are the songs around it. And if you, it, it's sort of like we do with uh, when they, when they peel, when they take something, they take an element, let's say they're going to make a certain kind of a tea or a certain kind of a drug for medicine, and they'll take leaves of a tree, and they extract one or two elements out of the thousands of things that are in that. And then that becomes the drug, or that becomes the flavor, or that becomes the tea. And what you missed was all that went with it, because there's a lot uh, in many songwriters in particularly, there's a lot of life experience, there's aspects of the growing uh, ebb and flow of life, there's a lot of, there are elements of healing, there's elements of love and kindness in it, and all those things feed your life. I, I was at a party several months ago, last fall, and I, and uh and this young guy was talking about downloading music, and he said something like, he said, I never buy music. I just stream it or download it for free. And I, and I didn't confront him in any way. I tried to get into what he was thinking, and I said, I said to him, well, what about the artists that feed your soul? Do you buy their music? And he looked totally blank, and I said, I said, do you know what I mean? They feed your soul. They're the, they're the music you would listen to when you're heartbroken or when you're going on vacation and you're so excited to be on the road or, you know, the important things in your life, the very emotional things. And he said, uh, he said well, there's a couple of artists like that for me. And he named them, and I had never heard of them. And I said, do you buy theirs? And he says, no. He said, don't they, don't they make royalties? And I said, royalties? come from buying the music right. royalties that's exactly what they are they come from buying the music they don't just naturally happen and it's not just young people there was a man on my facebook page about a week ago when he saw my kickstarter thing he he uh this surprised me he wasn't a friend or anything i think just someone that saw it and wanted to comment and he said well don't you make enough playing concerts and mm -hmm. and i realized he didn't have a clue Right. That what the, what the situation is for artists, clubs and venues, theaters. Often they don't even pay guarantees anymore. I'm sure you know that. Mm -hmm. They don't. And here's here's the problem with that. When you don't pay, pay a guarantee, you have no money in the deal. You have yes, you would like there to be a crowd there, but you don't have an investment. So if I play if I play the triple door and they haven't given me any guarantee, they don't advertise it. Right. 
And so, no, because it, then they, they're not out a thousand buck guarantee or something, you know. It's fallen onto the artist to not only be able yes. to book the venue, but then to bring all the people in as exactly. well. And, and buy their food and drink. Exactly. That's how I look at it. And so, you know what I do? I don't do them. I, there are very few of those I do anymore. I rent a little hall and put on my own show. I call them my little boutique concerts, or I'll do a, call it a very tiny concert. It might be 50 or 100 seats. I rent a small hall somewhere. I've done it in other cities, though I do most of them in the Northwest. And, uh, and I'll just, because here's my thought. When you go to these venues where there's dinner and drinks, uh, you're, first of all, there is, maybe you don't have to buy all that, but everybody can't afford to go and do that to hear music. And, it's, and it competes with the music in the first place. So, so I... And I'm not willing to bring them, my audience, to spend their money on their food and their alcohol. I'm not willing to do that. If they want to say, we're going to really promote this, and we'll put some money into it, and we'll bring our audience and your audience, then that's very different. But that's not what's happened. You know, It started with uh, MySpace and then obviously Facebook. Uh, they want you to bring your audience. And it cost them nothing because they didn't have to put an ad in the paper or advertise on the radio. And, hey, that's that's just the way that makes sense to them. It's right, and the rest of us the are kind of yeah. left scrambling, trying to, how you know, how do you kind of make an omelet out of these scrambled eggs, so to speak, yeah. and, and, that, and that's kind of where everyone's at. That's why I'm for crowdfunding, um, yeah. because it's, it's this new way to finance your project and, and, and help raise money, and um, because <laughs> the money's not there. There's a band um, in Ireland, in, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, called The 20, and they put out um, a, a song, and I've talked about this before called um called the penny and it and it speaks to how how those those little extra pennies that are by the the cash register if 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 you need a penny you can take it and but then sometimes you have to put the pennies back in or else if you just take all the pennies and no one puts any pennies back there, there, there are no more pennies and that's and, and they liken that to music and the musician and the musician puts all the money in up front. They, they put it all in. They put all the pennies in the jar. And then the listener is they're happy with you to take a penny, take a penny. But sometimes you have to give back. And how we do that is we buy the music. We go to the shows. We buy the merchandise. We support the crowdfunding because this is what keeps the art alive because the musician just can't keep filling the pennies in the penny jar they have we have it's, it's a yeah. two-way street we ha, it's a participatory event so we have to be able to take pennies absolutely that you know the musician wants to give us those pennies but you know but we have to be good stewards as well and we, we have to put some pennies back and and uh, that's where I'm so happy that kind of crowdfunding has come in to help ease that burden off of musicians because most musicians aren't making millions and millions and millions of dollars Oh yeah, you know we're we're talking about the vast number of musicians are really even working another job, or right? Two. Right. The right. vast number are, and um, but I I love your perspective on that and the 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 becoming aware of of how we have to invest in this, the richness of life. If you if you do not have beautiful music, music that inspires you, invigorates you, and music that comforts you and helps, you know, accompany you through life, 
life changes a lot. Have, have you ever seen Have you ever seen uh, footage of a movie being made before there was any music in it? It's lifeless. Absolutely. You see the scenes, and then suddenly they put in the strings, and it comes so alive. The very same scene comes alive. Well, our life is that way. You know, the proof of it is look at everyone walking around with, uh, with earbuds in. You know, that people love music to accompany their life. And... And if you want there to be music that enriches your life, that that d- evolves as you evolve as a human being, um, it's like vitamins you take. That's how I think of music. You should take those vitamins every day. There, there could be music that helps you sleep because it brings you to peace in the evening before you go to bed. There could be music that helps to start your day in a positive way that reminds you of gratitude and, and wonder. And music can work that way. And it can be from any genre that does it for you. I write specifically about those things because that's just up for me. That just weaves through my life. But there's songs that say nothing about those things, but they do it anyway. They still inspire you. And, and, you know, we want more of that in the world. We don't want – it's beautiful that we now have a system that anyone, you know, 15 years old can record a song at home, put it on YouTube, and make, you know, and then get uh, advertising dollars, get it on U- on iTunes then, and, and make a lot of money. That can happen, and it is happening a lot. But you also want people from all walks, all ages of life to be able to contribute – the depth of their life in music. Um, you know, uh, in Europe it's a bit different than in the U.S. People will go, I, I've heard people say that in Europe, they'll, you'll see a real mixed audience there for someone 70 years old or someone 25 years old. It'll be all ages because people really appreciate music for what it is instead of the categories of it, which we do more of here in the U.S., well, I want to play your Seattle Skies. I'd like for you to set this up for us, and then we'll come back and talk some more on the other side. Okay. But I want to give everybody a taste of Michael Tomlinson's music. And Thank you can you. also find out more at michaeltomlinson.com. But this is Seattle Skies. So go ahead and set this up for us, Michael. Okay. Um, I love that song. I, um, it, I've had a lifelong love of weather. I uh, grew up in the Texas Panhandle where you have very, very passionate weather you know, thrashing wind and hail and sleet and snow, and then it's and then it's 105 degrees and scorching, you know. And and I grew up with that love of it. And then moving to the Northwest, um, there is such much more gentle weather, but much more rain and and much greener, uh, many more rivers, mountains, trees, all of that. And it's just always woven into my music, and it weaves into my life. I find it to be something that inspires me and helps me to feel, come back to my own peace. And much of that flowed into this song. It's definitely one of my favorites on my uh, The Way Out West album. All right, this is Seattle Skies by Michael Tomlinson, and we'll be right back. I was an ordinary boy Till freedom called me Freedom called my name And an unusual voice 
Making the sound of yellow leaves Blowing down a blue highway I loved the thrill of the wind Oh, as early as I can recall I thought of weather as my friend Whether sun or snow or rain I was born to love it all Now I'm walking under gray Seattle skies Thinking how I'm going to miss the days gone by Even if I feel the bite of bitter winter wind Oh, I vow to not be one for hurrying I'll take my time and breathe it
That was Seattle Skies by our guest, Michael Tomlinson, and we're back with Michael, and he has a new project, and, you know, we were just talking about this off-air. It's everyone's fantasy to be a movie producer, and crowdfunding is really a great way to fulfill that fantasy and support musical projects, and, and Michael has a new music project coming up, and we want to talk about that right now, and that is to finance your new album that's going to be coming out, right, Michael? Yes, it is, Lori, and thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk about that. It's... Um... You know, it's a big thing to me to put out in the world something uh, that people could see all over the world and ask for their help with it. And and to ask confidently um, from a place of knowing I have something beautiful here to share with the world. These, You know, I take my time with songs. I don't typically write songs quickly. Um, I, I want them to fall into alignment with how I live my life and what I believe in and what I think is healthy. And and it, it may come in a lot of genres. I have a lot of jazzy tunes and kind of jazzy pop and folk rock and Americana and soft ballads and a mix of things. But always there's the content, like the song you just played. There's always the content of some gentleness, some love to share, and appreciation of the wonder of being alive. And And I so believe in that that, I'm trying to get across the idea of it with my Kickstarter campaign. I'm trying to get across the idea that we're co-creating this. And that's not just a phrase that I'm putting out there that's cute. I, I respect people too much to do that. But most people in their lives will not put out a work of some kind, a book or a movie or an album. By far, most people will never do that in their life. And yet, they have a chance to do that with me or someone else they believe in. They have a chance to make that real and bring it alive in the world. I mean, haven't you ever gone to see a movie and it would be one of those rare, blessed little movies that you thought, wow, I wish there were more of those in the world. Well, guess what? You get to be responsible for that. You know, people can put out an album of totally beautiful, enjoyable, very hummable songs that'll stay with you for years and years and years. I I hear that from people that have listened to my music for decades, that they continue to listen to it, that the songs still speak to them, they go to them like touchstones. I personally think of my music, uh, my songs as friends, send these friends out in the world to befriend other people to accompany them through the ups and downs, through the dark nights of the soul or the happiest times in their life, through the passing of someone they love, through the seasons coming and going, through the letting go that you do over a lifetime. You know, having songs that accompany you and are a gentle part of your life are so beautiful. And so I took that approach in reaching out to people with my Kickstarter. I want to show them this is an invitation Yes, I'm asking you to do something for me, but I'm asking you to do something for you. Do something, be responsible for something going out into the world that is medicine. Because this world needs medicine. And we need the real kind. We don't need the drugs and the artificial ones. We need medicine that's authentic and touches your soul, moves through your being, and touches people in such a way that we feel more a part of each other instead of more separate. And that's the music that I write. 
So I put a lot into this Kickstarter campaign. I mean, I, I did tons of video trying to figure out what I'm going to do for the little presentation video. You know, hours and hours and stuff over a couple of years, which came down to less than four minutes, mostly done one day out by the Snoqualmie River last fall. And that's kind of how it is, you know, you... You, they say about preparing and preparing and preparing so that uh, so that when a lucky moment happens, you, you're ready. You know, and in a way, that's mm-hmm. what it was with all this. I went through many, 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 many different things I didn't use, and then I just. But in that process, it came down more to the core of what I wanted to say. And a lot of times, I think it's not even you don't have to get everything right. You have you you want to be authentic. And if you're authentic, you can trust that much of humanity is going to sense your authenticity. And so you don't have to be perfect in how you present it. So I set my launch uh, a week ago and and uh, did a 60-day one. So I've got 50 or 51 days left. And, and I... Uh, and, you know, I won't say that it's not a little nerve-wracking. You know, no one wants to put this out in the world and then no one <laughs> pays any attention to it. That's scary. But I didn't believe that would happen, and it is showing good progress. I'm about I'm about 18% there. I set a goal. My last album cost me between fifty and 60000 the recording of it. You know, while, while people are buying 99-cent downloads and I'm getting a portion of that, the recording of an album didn't get cheaper. Right. It's still expensive. I'm not mm-hmm. saying you can't record an album for 5000 bucks. You can go in there in one day and do it. But I'm talking about a work of art that I took a lot of time with and brought in wonderful musicians, used some musicians from other parts of the world, and, you know, really put my heart in and time and energy into it. So I, but in this case, I built into this one a little extra for two things. One was to promote the album, just cheaply, not hiring some team. I wouldn't have that kind of money, but a few thousand bucks to hire someone that spends lots of time online, finding places that will review and play and listen and write about my record. And that's critical. You can have the greatest album ever created, and if no one promotes it, no one markets it, no one will ever know it exists. You can't take just the chance that one person that's influential is going to hear it and then make it, you know, popular. That's right. highly unlikely. And so right. I built some extra into mine for that, and I built some extra into my campaign for touring. Uh, you know, it's common sense. Anyone knows and not many of us get to just go to another, fly to another city and spend a week for fun. We don't get to do that very often because, you know, a couple grand goes by pretty fast. And and so if I'm going to go out there and do shows, I I need to uh, be able to have a little bit of padding so that everything doesn't have to make money. I want to be able to go and play, if I'm going to play five shows in a week or two, um, I'm fine that some of them don't make money and some do make money. I'm fine with that. But you can't go out there for one or two that don't make money and then come home losing money. You know, I'm not in that position, and most musical musical artists aren't anymore. So I built into it not only the recording, but some promotion and some touring. 
and if I if I by some wonderful happenstance exceed my goal, I'll put mo- m- that extra will go right into the touring and the promotion because I believe in this new album. It is some of the most beautiful work of my life. You know, I'm 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 not a good artist to go to if you're only going for nostalgia. If you just want to hear my first album you loved in 1985, I will play some songs from it. But I have to play where I'm at. I have to play who I am and what I'm the songs that are birthing through me now. I have to play that, those because that's my joy. That's my greatest joy. And that's what I'm here to do. And as I evolve as a human being, those are the songs that are filled with that content. And most likely, much of that resonates with where you are in your life. And those are the songs that will do you the most good and sing to your heart most beautifully. So... So this is, as you can tell as I'm describing this, there is a lot of thought that went into mm-hmm. the idea of doing a Kickstarter campaign. Is that I thought there was one overriding thing I had in mind from day one. I must inspire people. We're, we're barraged with requests to give, give, do things for us, go to this website, buy this, watch this. If you cannot give people something that will inspire them, I just don't think you stand a chance. So that that was my goal. Do a video that was inspiring, share bits of songs that are inspiring, tell my story, and hold up something that I felt could work for many people and not just me. I think there's thousands of people watching my campaign yet that haven't done anything yet, That probably, many of whom will participate, but I think they're watching and they're wondering, you know, that's probably kind of scary. Is it going to succeed or is it going to fail? And watching, you know, there will be a surge, and then suddenly there's a thousand more bucks, and then nothing for a day or so, and then here comes some more. And then, and so I have a feeling there is something, it, for, to my way of thinking, real almost spiritual messages in it about holding a vision, about not getting all caught up in the ebb and flow but holding a vision and continuing to do the work that promotes it and inspires and is creative enough to draw people into it. So that's where I'm at now. I'm almost every day I post something new that connects with the Kickstarter, but it's not all about, hey, please do this for me. It's about telling a story or sharing something I just did or sharing a letter I wrote. Um, I recently was asked to go to the women's prison down in Purdy and to and to sing to them and speak to them and it touched me so deeply I've been writing them a weekly weekly letter and I've been sharing those on my on my Facebook page and and at the end I always talk about Kickstarter um, I always keep it woven in and out because I really have to do that that has to be my commitment now that every single day something I do ties into the Kickstarter as a reminder for someone who's coming along who may not have known or someone who did know but kind of forgot. And I'm just looking for those sparks of content. If I tell a story, if I get someone laughing, if I post um, a little video of me playing one of the new songs, um, one of those things may spark a person uh, in a certain way and suddenly they want to be a part of it. 
And so that's the way I'm going about it. I'm just holding my life up, being creative with it and sincere with it, and believing that just that will call enough people to make this a success. Well, you opted for Kickstarter for the Kickstarter program. So if it doesn't get 100% funded, you don't get any of the money? That is, that is right. <laughs> and there were other options, as you know. There were some right, you could yes. use. That. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I weighed them out. I looked at them. I looked at many of them. And there were, you, you could go pros and cons with every one of them. I, what I felt about Kickstarter was this. They are much more refined than anyone else in their process. I appreciated that, and I, th- and I think they've come a long ways toward how they encourage you to do it. So I was impressed with that. Um, and then also, they are the largest of them, the most successful of them. Now, they're, they're a harder place for people to just stumble around and happen to find you. That's not going to happen much because of how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things they have going at once. For the most part, people are going to need to go looking for me there or have the URL themselves, and, you know, uh, they're going to have to do that. But, uh, but I felt like it, um, here's what – here's an aspect of – I don't know if you've thought of crowdfunding this way, Lori, but here's what I started thinking about it in the three or four years since I've known about Kickstarter is that crowdfunding is actually – Let's imagine that it's a closed loop and that you put out a new record like this. Let's say I meet my goal here, I record an album, and let's say I don't sell any other CDs to anyone else in the world, but that was an end unto itself. That's a viable, valid way to continue a lifestyle of living to write your music, releasing it to people, selling it, and then doing another one. It's a valid way to keep going, and uh, now I'm not I'm not going to limit myself that way. I want to put my music out in all the ways that I can, but to acknowledge that as a new world unto itself almost, um, and many people are doing that. People are putting out little books of poetry a couple times a year. Maybe they're raising five thousand bucks, but hey, poets don't make a lot of money, and and each time they do it, then they turn around and do another one. And so I think that it's, uh, for musicians and artists in particular, I think that's an important way to look at it as something that's viable for a continued way of releasing your work. And when you have a large one, like Kickstarter, you always have the advantage of those who are looking around through it. And if I rise up to get enough success that Kickstarter uh, features me in some way, uh, or, or, or I rise up in the mix where people can see me and find me more easily, that can bring in new people, both people that knew my name radio through the years that I don't have on a mailing list. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of those people that knew about my music in the years when hundreds of stations were playing me. But, you know, I've got, you know, 8,000 people on a mail list now. And I don't know where all those other people are, and they easily could just be moving around, hear my name, and go, wow, I've, I've wondered what happened with him. Then they look and they say, I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. So I'm depending on a lot of those kinds of things happening as well, as well as a lot of word of mouth. Friends, I've been asking people, Please tell your friends, if you're inspired by this, in your own words, ask your friends to go and look at it. 
tell them some story about what my music's meant to you or something, and then ask them to go and look at that. And I have, I've already seen in a couple of cases, or I suspect that some of the people that have backed me have come through that way because they were names I was unfamiliar with. And I'm, and I'm, I communicate pretty clearly with the people on my mailing list and Facebook page. And so I, I tend to recognize many of the names, even if I wouldn't really know them. And uh, I'm noticing a few come through that I had never heard of, and they're not on my mailing list. So, so maybe that's working that way for me, the, the people spreading word. And, I, and I'm hoping your show does that. I hope so, too. (laughs) Well, we have links on here. We're going to have this posted up on Seattle Wave Radio as well. And, of course, we have the links right here. It's probably flashing before everybody. And really, that's, again, it goes back to us being good stewards of music. We can, you know, share these links through social media, through Facebook and Twitter. And and those are free and easy to do. We're already doing them anyway, so why not support Michael in the meantime? And well, uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you, Lori. No problem. Well, we're going to go out with things that I don't know. I really appreciate, Michael, you taking the time to come on and spend this time with us today and kind of reminisce with me about the good old days and well, also I, kind I, of I validate me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you needed validation from me. You're doing great work. And I, and I went through and looked at some of the things you've done, and I was just you, – you're, I mean, it runs the gamut, doesn't it? You, mm-hmm. you, you talk with and promote people in many walks of life around the world. Uh, but, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity, and it's heartening for me to know that you are aware of these circumstances – and you're doing things with your life to help bring more awareness to how people can bring something genuine alive in the world, support each other, and often find out about something they would have never known about in the first place. So I greatly appreciate that. Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, just to go back to you know, just a little bit, when, when I first started, when I got talked into doing this show, it was all just a, kind of about supporting Seattle music. And then that kind of, I started getting people come from, uh, the UK and you know a lot of indie artists who are looking for exposure and I couldn't quite get the audience built that I wanted just kind of off the whole indie thing but I also yes. on the side had this huge database and ability to tap into a lot of celebrities so I had a huge Rolodex of people that I'd known also through the years that I had had good relationships with and I was able to reach out to them and get them on. So I had a lot of super popular household names and I found that I could weave in the music that I was trying to support via using these household names. And I was able to marriage those two. And so I was able to expose the artists I wanted to expose while bringing on somebody who was maybe a Grammy winner, an Oscar winner, an Emmy winner, somebody like that, 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 that had that kind of notoriety where, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. So that's kind of why you see that really eclectic mix in the people that I talk yeah. to. And I only talk to people that really, that I like and who, and who are, are kind. And, and sure. uh, so all of those people that have come through are all genuinely good people and I really enjoy talking to them but because of them I was able to further my original agenda and that was promoting independent music 
Well, I, so I like how you're going about it, and I think <laughs> there's a brilliance in that. There really is because, you know, you have to do what works. What will get people to listen sometimes is a name they know and mm-hmm. someone they love. And then if you can find a way to segue into that or include with it in some way something you personally would like to introduce, that's a beautiful thing. I, I can't think of a better way to do it. And, and just it really it, it really has, has worked out. And it's been really a gift for me because it keeps exposing me to this wonderful music and great artists like you. And, and here, this is really a full circle moment for me because I spun your records back at KHPY yeah. Radio back in the day. Yeah. It just shows you how old I am. And well, I then, that. yeah, I get this email. And it's like, oh, you know, um, we want to introduce you to Michael Tomlinson. I'm thinking, Michael Tomlinson, boy, that name sounds familiar. And then all of a sudden <laughs> the bells start going off. And I'm like, I know exactly who that is because that, that, just took me right back to KHPY radio. And, and then those things that you wanted to talk about were also a passion of mine. So, I mean, it was just really meant to be Michael. And I, I honestly could not be happier that, that, that you've come on today. Well, thank you, Lori. That is a treat. And I, I could feel that from you and I appreciate it. And, and uh, I, I have no doubt people will be responding about this. I'll be telling people on my Facebook page and, and, sending out some word about the show and uh, I'm sure people are going to be very happy that we did this. Well, I'm going to send as many people as I can to support your Kickstarter and it's michaeltomlinson.com and this is the kind of music we want to make. Thank you so much, Lori. I really appreciate it. And uh, and also this this last song you're going to play was all through the recording of the face uh, of the way out West. This was, this was my go-to song. I just love this song, and uh, and I think it's cool when when you get to hear from the artist um, what moved them the most in the recording. But this was probably the one I listened to, possibly into the thousands of times, but at least hundreds of times on my headphones as I would take walk during during the recording of my last album. So thanks for playing it. No problem. It's called Things That I Don't Know, and it's by Michael Tomlinson. Take a bite of this, she said, and tell me if you think it tastes like autumn. Bright, crispy apple in the cool October sun. And then she disappeared Left me there a lonely boy without her Just some more evidence of things that I don't know Things that I don't know I drove up one summer day Matter in the shade of Hazel Mountain So near the end of August I could hear September falling I loved that Saturday The way she let her hair fall down around her But I lost some part of me In the smolder of her gaze Oh, 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 oh. Things that I don't know I have longed to know the reason for the winding wheel of time ever.
through the seasons Till it always breaks my heart Every year when a lovely garden dies Things that I don't know Every time I write a song, I start to feel like water falling, clear running through me, washing all my senses open. That's how I was when I, I took a juicy bite of that sweet apple, honest as sunshine on a stolen autumn day. Things that I don't know When wild geese fly from the northern skies And the sunflowers die on the star It feels like love has gone with the waning sun As the lonesome nights grow Always breaks my heart Every year when a lovely garden dies Things that I don't know Take a bite of this, she said and Tell me if you think it It tastes like autumn Seattle Wave Radio. Your Seattle, your scene.